welcome to the Fan Fiction Tapes. This is episode 14? Yeah? Yeah. Episode yeah. 14. Here we go. And this month is our world-building month. So, <laughs> we're a better place to start than my own world. Uh, but first off, let's introduce some people. So, as I said, I'm Dylan, along with today's co-host... Hi, I'm Jax. Uh, within the world as an aide, I play Hera, the main character. <laughs> as well as? Well, before that, I did play uh, another character known as Jewel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maya, uh, we... we need you to introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah, you exist. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, it's me, Maya. I also play Kai, the uh, resident war criminal and plumbing enjoyer. <laughs> and it's Ian, the producer, and I also play in Zenaid as Althea, the renegade warlock. So here I have three uh, of my players. We are a party of six now, <laughs> usually five. But we've just had a new member, yeah. So, so uh, thing. Uh, how about you guys tell me about your introductions to Zenaidi Chiyo before I go into how it came from me? Uh, I guess I'll go first, because I was the last to join. Um, I actually joined a game that Jax was running. Uh, f several months prior, because I've been looking to get back into D and D. Um, this was shortly before the pandemic started, uh, as most of my IRL groups were fun but highly irregular. And then I just kind of kept accumulating more D and D games over time. Like I don't know what like gay people do with pens. <laughs> yep you accumulate everything though so that makes sense <laughs> okay uh what about uh you two ian jacks uh well i know that um way back in the before times of what was it 2018 2019 uh you you first posted in the crow's nest uh, looking for players for a uh, a D and D group, and I of course jumped on that because uh, uh, I have never been uh, in a D and D group um, that has been able to meet on a regular basis. <laughs> and even at that time, my main IRL group was all of the roommates I was living with. Uh, yeah, for your knowledge, I believe it would have been late 2019. Okay. So, yeah, not not too long before the pandemic, actually. Yeah, yeah that changed things. <laughs> it was, like, two months, or even, like, a few weeks. I think it was, like, three weeks. <laughs> yeah. We've been, we've been playing Jax's game for a while before the pandemic started. No. <laughs> Jax started we did start uh, with... Dylan's game. That was the first to sort of start all of our groups. Yeah, yeah. I I thought your game started longer before the pandemic because we had the um, we had the pandemic flatline. Hmm. 
No. <laughs> a little bit. Jax, you you were you were one of the first first players in the Zenade group, right? But that was as your that was as Jewel, right? Or did you join yes. a little later? No, uh, Jax no. is a session one. You yeah, know? I was okay. one of the uh, original characters within that. Um, I did start with Jewel. Um, he was kind of more of a joke character, which over time I sort of drifted away from. And speaking of Dylan, I then went on to create my next character, Hera, which I enjoy a lot more. I like to imagine the rest of the group also enjoys her. <laughs> if oh, yeah. finding her maybe a little insufferable at times. Yeah, it took us took us a few months to get our main character. <laughs> so uh, for me, Zenate started a little while before. Uh, I was in an RP text with my friend uh, Romka, uh, and I was just like, "Oh, I'll make uh, a little setting for us." So I made the city of Tira on the island of Samara. And then I expanded from there. I drew on uh, paint, <laughs> MS Paint, and I made the original map. Uh, oh, original then, map is rough. Oh, and then uh, another friend of ours, uh, moderator on this server where we're all together, uh, made a more updated map. And since then, I've created my own smaller maps. Instead of the entire world map, I have subregions, and those are the current maps we use. But yeah, that's where Zenade originated from. A text RP where I went, I'll make this one city. <laughs> and and now it's... we've never gone there. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we'll see what the future brings. Mm. The tournament so... could be there. It's not. It's specifically not. <laughs> shush. Shush. So, uh, let me just ask, in terms of Zenade itself, which is spelled Z-I-N-N-A-D-E. Those curious. Um, what is it that you all appreciate it, uh, about it? Is it like the sort of... What's the unique aspects of the world that you don't find in other places that you've, know, you've seen in media or made yourself? Well, what I think that the most interesting thing about it is... This also might be because it's the medium of a D&D or a tabletop role-playing game in that it's very interactive, both with the players and with the world. In a way, it's you're able to connect with it, affect it, and really change it. And as the DM, you are able to really bring that out. Mm. <laughs> High praise, high praise. Mm -hmm. uh, Ian, Maya, do you guys have anything that makes you go, like, ooh, Zenade? <laughs> I mean, aside from the fact that it's spending time with friends, uh, I feel like there are certain uh, stereotypes and conventions of the fantasy genre, particularly as it applies to Zenade, that you are mildly subverting, and I kind of always appreciate that. What is an example you can think of? So a lot of a lot of D and D stereotypes stem from Tolkien, where like elves are always perfect, beautiful, good guys, and you kind of humanize them more. For instance, um, like Duke McSilver is is definitely a bastard, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I also like it when there aren't 
necessarily always chaotic evil races. Um, so the fact that you have a, a whole city of orcs that aren't, uh, you know, Evilsville. It's just yeah. people Except with they're tusks. communist. Yes. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, when I set out to make it, I didn't want to have, like, I don't believe that, you know, you have a city of this and that race is like this. It's, there are people and from these places and the people are like this. You know, uh, and not everyone, but it's about a culture, it's about religion, it's about uh, what the country is run like. You know, it's about the history and thinking about that instead of just going, oh, they were born evil. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the unfortunate things about a lot of D&D and other fantasy media is there is a lot of problematic stereotypes about various real-life races that get converted into D&D. Hmm. When I talk about, like, elves, what, how I think of elves are, like, you'll either get, like, the condescending, like, one that looks down upon all of, like, the lesser races in terms of lifespan and goes, how could you ever know what it's like to be me, so on and so forth? And I also have the ones that are more insightful and I'll still worry about stuff like uh, how, you know, if I have a child with a human, I'm going to outlive them, likely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, you the only kind of elven character that I would compare to a Tolkien elf wasn't actually an elf. <laughs> who who would that be? Uh, Saint Olympias. Saint Olympia is very much. Uh, is she masqueraded as an elf? Yes, uh, she was actually a, a golden dragon. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, one of our favorite NPCs. Uh, mm -hmm. I will. I can't. I can't believe that. That uh, speaking of Saint Olympia and 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 that arc, I can't believe that that Duke McSilver was the first elven bastard that came to mind when the lore master is right there. Mm. The lore master is right there. It's lore master. Lore. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said, lore master. This, this is a joke that they have been gaslighting me for about two years now. <laughs> I don't know where this gaslighting is coming from. It's just <laughs> what it is. How dare you. Um, I will go to the bat here, up to bat, when it comes towards um some of those racial stereotypes. I come, well, I kind of grew up along more of those pieces of media where you have your elves here and your dwarves here. And yes, that can be problematic, and I don't think it's entirely realistic. However, I think it's just like a staple of the genre that, when done well, can kind of give a flavor and, you know, cultural history to some people that can be kind of fun. I, I do have some of those elements, but I think for... That was something that happened in the past in Zinni. You mm -hmm. know, people moved beyond that. It became you know, cultures and nations, and once the gods went, people went, um, I guess instead of just being around the people 
who are similar to me will find people who can work together. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is a time thing because over time, peoples and cultures will mix and clash and conflict and all that, and eventually you will get to an integrated society where you can just see practically anyone walking around. Mm. So when we speak about Zenaid, and I want to talk more about the world and what you guys like about it, uh, so obviously our campaign is set on the continent of Epeth. Uh, Epeth has uh, four sort of primary nations and uh, a little archipelago area with a few islands. <laughs> so do you want to tell me what you like about maybe the three you've been to? Uh, because you have been to the archipelago, but there's little to say about that. Uh, so, who here would like to talk about the Kingdom of Sarez? Well, I suppose I will do that, being as my character originates from Sarez and has become a knight over time. So, I do really enjoy Sarez. Um, it really makes you feel that you're in that medieval fantasy and... Um, one of the things that I sort of might be jumping a little bit ahead with um, is that you could very much compare it to uh, Westeros from Game of Thrones or uh, Song of Ice and Fire, which, if I remember correctly, is one of your major influences. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, um, I think in a little bit here, we will see a lot more of that. I think there's going to be a lot of political maneuvering. Um, we just finished a major arc, but the arc before it, which was the first one, involved a you know, fat, drunk king that spent all of the kingdom's wealth on partying and frivolous nonsense. And we were helping the uh, princess. Also, he was an asshole. Well, that was implied. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we was we were helping his daughter to attempt to overthrow him. Things naturally kind of yeah, shifted around, but <laughs> um, but no, there was a distract. lot of the themes that you could see in Ice and Fire, where power lies where people think it lies, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's an aspect I always want to talk about. It's like. You know, who is actually the person in charge? Was it the Fat King? Was it his advisors? Because he didn't care. Was it his mistresses? You know, who was really ruling? I mean, they used him, or he was just doing it, it himself. But obviously, when it comes to that, you know, people have different views and all this. And King Hansen as a character, uh, you know, he's a terrible person. You know, uh, I've talked about the history and I've shown you guys some of the history about him. His father died alone with him from choking on his food. And this was when Hansen was 13. And I don't outright say it, but it can be described as like, this 13-year-old kid, kid killed his father. <laughs> like, it can be taken that way if you want to. <laughs> and, and of course... Talking about Sarah's, how about we speak of your favorite person in the Sarah's kingdom, 
tell me about my DMPC who traveled with you for a long time, Elizabeth Sarahs. Tell me a little about her, Jax, before we move on. Oh, boy. Well, <sighs> the relationship between her and my character, Hera, is... Well, I think the thing to understand is that my character came from a dukedom where her family had been taken advantage of, um, her brother had been kidnapped and brain-controlled into an assassin. And as such, uh, Hera has a, might be more accurate to say had, an intense distrust and hatred for government and royalty in specific. She's largely trying to get on uh, Princess Elizabeth's good side in order to try and, you know, get her should she be put in power to help her with her own problems. Hmm. So over time, it largely became, uh, there's a lot of friction there to say the least. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure, uh, Ian here will have a different description of Elizabeth, a <laughs> lot different, uh, character interaction there. No, um, Elizabeth in her own way has, her own sense of uh, justice and trying to write things to kind of clean up corruption overthrew her father. A lot of that. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so a quick thing about Liz you guys might know, may, may know. Uh, the way I write Liz uh, is pretty much this girl who grew up in a very hostile environment you know, her family was constantly under threat from various mistresses or people who would have been better off if there wasn't an heir and a, a queen consort. And that molded her to hate corruption, because that's what she saw it all as, is corruption. And she eventually was attacked and killed her attackers, and then saved her mother and sibling from attackers, and they ran away, and that's where eventually you guys met them. <laughs> what she is, is a character who very much was made in a very difficult place, and had to learn that the world is sort of... You don't have to do all the corruption taking out on your own, and there might be more important things, and that's eventually what it became, is she assisted, instead of going after the throne, but with you guys, she went along, and instead of taking that out, took out a conspiracy, a dark god trying to be summoned. Mm -hmm. We got kind of distracted, as D&D uh, &D players tend to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you laugh. I do laugh, because I'm usually the one getting distracted. <sighs> mm -hmm. But yeah, you guys, alongside her, instead stopped that instead of going for the throne. And eventually that meant that a, a different story was that people in the kingdom who hated King Hanson went and found 
this guy who had a very small claim to the throne. He was he was basically like a Luke Skywalker. You know, he's just some farm kid. But he had like, oh, if we if we go to this queen, her third son, who never became king and died, well, he if we tra trace that line, it leads to like this guy. <laughs> uh huh. So far, it seems to be going well. Monarchy is a wacky system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> be prepared, DM. <laughs> so, Inamaya, do you, do you guys want to pick between the uh, sort of Union Republic Glaiva and uh, the nation states of Tuagos? Maya, you go first. I'll, I'll talk about whichever one you don't want. Um, I think Glaver is probably the most appropriate one for me to talk about, given all the problems I personally have caused there. <laughs> yeah, well, they were all you. <laughs> uh, not all of them, but... Mm -hmm. I remember having to leave a couple of towns in a hurry. Uh, what's kind of interesting is my character was... Uh, Kai was hanging out and spending a lot of time in Glaver before uh, she met the party. Not necessarily causing too many issues there. Uh, <laughs> and my character isn't very invested in this continent. She's on exile from her homeland on basically the other side of the world, hoping to eventually get back in. And her interactions with it are often less with investment with the area and more the people she knows directly. So her ties to Glaver were basically through the party. And that meant we've caused a few problems, maybe collapsed the economy of a region. <laughs> this is what happens when you work with mob bosses. <laughs> it seemed like the thing to do at the time. Mm-hmm. Um... Also, me and another player were chanting heist episode. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was fun at the time. It and was had fun. consequences, it was fun. yeah. <laughs> and the consequences were good for you, weren't they, DM? It meant you got to make an entire second arc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, this second arc wouldn't have happened at all without that horrible decision. But to talk a little bit about Glaver, Glaver is a union of free sort of smaller nations. Um, so there's the Danvanesh region, which were nomadic people who lived in a desert and practiced a lot of fishing. Uh, you had the Kraxen, who live in the jungle region and had to deal with all these monsters and weird creatures and cultists. And you had uh, the people uh, who are now called Glaver, but they're descendant of the same people off the island dynasty in the south, which are the, the Lyonese, uh, but they are now known as Glaver. Uh, so they three came into a union and are basically they have each have their own individual leader, but it's sort of in a more democratic sense and all this, you know, they try and give more representation to people whereas to the north you will have Ceres and pretty much an, you know, a monarchy with dukedoms who are vassals of that, you know, king and so on and so forth. So, 
Glaiva is an opportunity to deal with a more bureaucratic thing, different elements showing how while corruption within a kingdom is done with people inf influencing one person, Glaiva is people taking the system and using it. So it's a different system than a monarchy where you only have to influence one person and that one person is influenced by many different things. It's a system being influenced by so many people for their own advantages. Uh, so Ian, how about you talk about the city-states of Tuagos? Tuagos, yes. So let's see, Tuagos, we've got, what is it, Wallsville, Senator Ray, and remind me on the... Udquadid. Udquadid, yes. Uh, and the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we maybe went to Udquadid once. Yeah. We, we did. We only, we... we only had a brief, brief stop over there. Senator Ray is, I think, where the story... Um, depending on how you look at it, either really got started or really went off the rails. Yeah, that's when I uh, started <laughs> to play Hera. Yeah, that's that's where we got introduced to Hera. Um, we got involved with the, the Vulture King plot and um, the... Uh, the Lawmaster. The Lawmaster, yeah. Mm -hmm. the, uh, that was the first government we overthrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, first one so far. I yes. think for I speak for most of the players when I say that Senator A is our favorite city. Um, it's because it, it it was really well built. It had a lot of good NPCs all doing their own thing, and we really got to see the effect that we had on the world there. Also, yeah. for quite a few of us, it was the first big city we really got to go to mm -hmm. um cause I, th I think that was the first stop we made after i joined um, uh you and zont you had a quick stop over in nagabo and then you spent a long time in saturday yeah. even uh, before yeah. uh maya had joined it was we'd only been to some very small places mm, so and obviously the city-states are each a bit different. These are more, uh, well, Sandere was elven, Ukwada was orcish, and Wallsville is like a mixture of cultures, whatever. But the idea was, you know, sort of, they're not completely these things. And how they, they each had different systems. So obviously there's a democratic mayor in Wallsville, Sandra had a saint leading it, so a religious sort of theocracy, uh, mixing with something else. And Udquadid was, uh, you know, communist in nature, but they still practiced democracy. So then the main focus was Sandra because what happened is they had been ruled by a saint, Alencia Savar, for since their founding. It was their founder. What happens when that founder? then doesn't have the magic to keep up the thing anymore and has to leave. Mm -hmm. Well, how does one deal with an 800-year-old, you know, ruler suddenly disappearing? You know, basically a god ruler. Mm -hmm. Definitely mm -hmm. not our fault. The, the second-in-command takes over, and whereas that god ruler previously could keep them in check, 
the biases start to show a lot more. You know, they start ostracizing half-elves, leaving them impure, you know, showing sort of racial tensioning that way. And it eventually led to said ruler having to be overthrown by you guys and installing a council. <laughs> and that's what I love about Twagos. Twagos was about these smaller stories, uh, but we spent a lot of time on them. It was this one city and how this one city got affected and what the other two big places in them fought. Like, it, nothing else mattered at that point, really. You had the bigger overarching plot, but the main focus was Senator A and what the other two will do to help us with it. And that was your guys' goal, was to stabilize Senator A. Nothing else mattered. <laughs> well, also, like, kicking that lawmaster guy out, he was dick. <laughs> but you could have yeah. just left him. You yeah, know, this... you had other stuff to do. We but did, and... You know, this we was did. the first time where we said, you know, this seems important. We should do this because we had left a city within the Kraxen region known as Zant, where there's a number of things going on with cultists in the jungle. We still have no idea what's down there. I'm still expecting a Elder God to be summoned somewhere <laughs> down there, and we have to deal with it. Didn't we end up releasing a Mind Flayer in that region? Yeah, but that was a lot later. That was, yeah, that was a lot more recently. Well, yeah, that's not going to help matters, though. <laughs> yeah, we, um... Oops. Look, it, we... Could be, it could end up being a situation where the Mind Flayer and the Elder God are at odds, and they take each other out. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> Maybe he'll be helpful. We were nice to him. Yeah, <laughs> we were. Uh, yeah, but those are the three main ones. So, just... Compare this to other fantasies you guys have seen before. You know, how does Zenaid hold up, compare, do things different, do things better, does things worse, <laughs> if that is possible? <laughs> well, I sort of got a couple here and uh, touched a little bit on it earlier. And that's to start with the two places that I believe Dylan has drawn the most for from inspiration. The first being um, A Song of Ice and Fire with Westeros. Like I said, there's a lot of interconnectedness and political machinations and such. Um, the other one would be uh, Exandria from Critical Role, which I believe was where Dylan first sort of got into the idea of D&D. Uh, I played D&D years ago, and I always was a world builder, like I made worlds, but I didn't have any vehicle to use them. Zenade-based was sort of like, so Matt has Alexandria, and I just make something. <laughs> right, and there are definitely some spots where I can see, alright, yeah, I can see some of those fingerprints here and there. Um... And, you know, I like that. I like a lot of the inspiration that you've taken and sort of used. One thing that I'll sort of say that I think that perhaps could be thought on a little bit more for world building is with D&D uh, 5th edition, or wherever you might take this in the future, you have access to so many different races and magic and rules that 
really defy what we know in our world or a medieval world. And I think that might be something that Zane could use a little bit more spice with, right? Just like question, okay, how would society be affected with these various magics? Mm-hmm. And for that, you know, you can look at other fantasy worlds. Alrighty. Uh, what about you, Maya? My relationship with Zenaida's world is it's kind of this step in between what, as I understand, is more typical for TTRPG worlds and what you're going to see when you're reading a book or watching a movie. Because it's... I mean, I I grew up on Tolkien. I, I had his books around as a kid. Um, I read the Aragon books when I was younger as well. Um, and I read some of Sanderson's stuff pretty early. These are all cases that are kind of pretty well known for fairly expansive world. And there's, they are very well established. There's not much you can do to them when you engage with those worlds. And this was one of my first major D&D games. And I was very scared to touch the world and like, or not, not to touch the world, to uh, change the world from the way you had it. Mm-hmm. Which is different from the way I would say I now interact with fantasy worlds uh, in TTRPGs and otherwise, but that's also because I read a lot more fanfic than I used to. Um, <laughs> there is... I'm not certain what... How to describe this, but it's... When you say fantasy, and if you say D&D, what a lot of people are instantly going to think of is high fantasy swords and sorcery. Mm-hmm. Medieval period at the absolute latest, and... A lot of the other trappings of stereotypical high fantasy you know there's a castle there's a dragon there's a knight there's a princess uh and actually we have all of those but not in the usual ways (laughs) what are you saying that hair is not your typical knight uh (laughs) i am in fact saying that (laughs) go figure i do see what you're saying yeah like the dragons you've interacted with, you've only fought a couple, and they were hungry beasts. Like, let's go mess up this guy. Uh, other dragons you've met was one masquerading as a saint, uh, one who was basically like, "Don't touch my stuff and pay me tribute, and you can go pass." And uh, I gave him a rock. And one who was like, "All right." Uh, you want to, you know, make a deal with me? 
Like, I'll protect this land. Just don't have people come into mine. <laughs> yeah, no, Zenith is... I suppose I should, like, clarify a little bit. Zenith is definitely different, and that isn't what you might consider, you know, that standard fantasy. I'm just saying that it's, it is large enough that you might be able to, like, put a little bit in there. You know? So, that is actually not at all what I was, what I was leading up to when I was talking about all of that. Alright. I have a gun. <laughs> mm-hmm. That, that, that's what I was leading up to. It's a... Technology-wise, it is very different. Um, if you're familiar, uh, listeners, with the... Magician Ma Master and Magician Apprentice books by Raymond E. Feist and that whole series. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. That one is, I believe, actually based on the plot of his D&D games with his friends. And it is very sword and sorcery. Mm -hmm. Although admittedly heavier on the sorcery than the swords. And Zenaid is not that. Well, for one, we have a flying boat. But the, the general technological level is different. And that's a very neat thing. It's been fun to engage and see that. And also run into some of how the technology levels at different points in the world are different. Yeah, that's definitely one of them. Like, um... Chimera comes from a place that, well, it has plumbing, guns, and even plastic, which we just saw a little bit ago, whereas where we've been spending our time, it's you don't see anything really more technologically advanced than a horse-drawn cart. We've, we've seen, we've encountered a few, a few people who have managed to get their hands on guns, uh, Lately, but... yes, <laughs> that's hurt. how I got one. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but a it seems like a lot of the the technological progress in in this region is really being driven by Chimerir's presence. <laughs> oh, that's going to cause so many problems down the road. <laughs> yeah, I am and... here to cause problems. And there is an opportunity for a player. Chimerir know. is here to bring the Industrial Revolution and its consequences. It's... As all artificers are wont to do. It's the equivalent of, like, you know, someone from, like, I don't know, someone from, like, the uh, 18th century, or, or, like, someone from, like, that, you know, probably 1700s to, like, the early 1900s being sent back to like the 800s you know <laughs> they know how to make stuff and we'll just be like can we start mining this because this will be very useful and I know how to make your boats better I know how to make other stuff better let's talk about advancing quickly here and yeah yeah it's one of those interesting things um because in a uh, world as you've set up, there are just so many different areas and regions. There's so much that you can just fill on the map so where you can put in, like, anything you want. Because we've already spoken of just 
one continent and its three subregions and well we barely touch the surface of them but they are very clearly different it's kind of funny the way Kaimur has turned out and the impact she's had on the world very different from <laughs> what was originally intended and how I based her off of um, yes, you carried around a pot of grass, feeding it some alchemical solution. <laughs> yes, well, so originally I designed that character, keeping in mind one of my friends from high school who uh, is an agricultural engineer now. And I believe around the time I joined, he'd been talking more about it. I was like, you know what, that could be a neat way to work stuff that isn't really what I do into this character, because I decided I wanted to do an alchemist artificer, and then built the rest of the character from there. And at the time, I wasn't really doing much chemistry in the day-to-day. -day. So I was like, yeah, it doesn't really mesh with what I'm doing. So I went to look at other fields, and I pulled that in, and then it's just... kind of fallen by the wayside for a while. Mm -hmm. It's, well, it's the funniest thing, since... The reason that you were experimenting on that grass is you were trying to find a solution for better crops in a elevated and arid area correct yes because and my character comes from a farming background in a high elevated arid area and you never asked her about that <laughs> a D, &D that moment right there guys hilarious Look me in the face and tell me you think Chimera would realize that. <sighs> oh, she absolutely I... would not. It's it's totally in character. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's still hilarious. I Dramatic like irony. I imagine that you'd be smart <laughs> enough, but <sighs> I guess you proved me wrong. Chimera uh, so doesn't people well. No. Which is no. really funny because her three highest stats are intelligence, charisma, and wisdom in that order. Kindly is just built different, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, on on so. the subject of comparing to other uh, fantasy settings and how um, the presence of magic can uh, influence technological developments, um, I think that if we if we want to explore that in in the world of Zenaid going forward, um, Cosmere is a good place to look for inspiration, uh, because the the two big series there, Mistborn and Stormlight Archive, are both settings where um, we're getting to see technological development that incorporates this. Uh, they're they're rel relevant ah. relevant particular magics. Yeah, although um, I feel I should say for Starlight Archives, I think it's technically the other way around. It's scientific advancements from magic. Yeah, um, Stormlight Stormlight Archive partic in particular has um, magic producing technological advancements. You get to see that a lot in Rhythm of War. Mm -hmm. with Navani um, rapidly advancing Fabrial technology. Um, you also kind of see that we're, we're, we'll be getting a lot more look at 
eras of technological development in uh, the Mistborn setting going forward as well, because that is jumping forward um, uh, decades to centuries every every time he starts a new series in that setting. Because we had the original Mistborn trilogy was a um, enforcement evil stats, stasis uh, thing. Uh, and then we jump forward 300 years and the magic has gotten kind of different. Weaker, weaker you could say. Uh, I think rather than weaker necessarily, diluted. Yeah. But at the same time, um, that means that more people have access to different combinations of magic and technology is starting to be developed to harness the magic. Um, and the next leap forward in that setting we know is going to be more of a cyberpunk setting. So we went, we went from medieval stasis to steampunk. Wild West. Steampunk Wild West. Next we're going to be seeing cyberpunk and eventually space age. And it's from... We've seen some glimpses of that era in some of the other um, short stories and side novels, and it's going to be really interesting to see how exactly the magic gets incorporated into the technology. So it'll be interesting to see then if we can take some inspiration for that for developing in Zenaid. Uh I mean, we'll see... Uh... For the technology aspect, I'm focusing that primarily on one continent. Uh, mm. But that continent will definitely have a, <laughs> a lot of stuff. Uh, but kind of uh, as a character, you know, it, it does influence the technology and everything. And yeah, it's also about that ancient technology, the stuff that is more advanced stuff, but that became in between world-ending wars, you know? And what Kami has been able to reverse engineer that stuff. Hmm. Right. I do uh, love that trope of, of ancient technology. It's really hard it's to not use. <laughs> I've used it in my own game. It's to what I like to imagine is a great effect. But yeah, uh, it's also just a thing when I talk about world building is High-level magic users must be, like, in, like, most world settings, must be, like, what some of the crappiest people because they don't use their power that much to help. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, you've got, like, a, a, a spell that can, you know, make, like, crops for, like, a mile. And you don't do that to help solve poverty? It's like, well, I gotta go beat this dragon. It's like, okay, thanks, but the dragon only... Appears like once you kill it, can't you do the oh, lich? <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. ah, great. Yeah, that is a very interesting thing that you sort of gotta tackle when you make some of these things and you make such characters. And it's like you have to be like, okay, why don't they do this? Are they an asshole? Or like you said, the world is constantly under attack from four different angles of reality ending threats yeah so magic users um, i use more to keep the world from being destroyed than change it 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But it would be interesting to see someone play a wizard who tried to change... You know, the world use wizardry not to defeat stuff, but to make it better. Hmm. Interesting concept. I might have to think about that next so, campaign. So, um... Something relevant is, I think, Jim Butcher's Dresden Files. I'm sorry, you two, you get to sit through more hyperfixation hour. <laughs> uh-huh. Where... I'll, I'll just sit here. There is a character uh, in that series named Mab, based off of... Actually, I'm not certain the particular origin of Mab. Most people are likely familiar with uh, Queen Titania from one of Shakespeare's plays. In the Dresden Files, Mab is kind of a counterpart to Titania. She's this ancient fae being. That is, at first glance, fucking terrible. Has a lot of power, uses it in ways that hurt people Harry cares about. But as the series progresses, you learn that Mab only has that power because she is constantly fighting back against those world-ending threats. Sneak. (laughs) <laughs> okay um, Neat So we've done our comparisons Now it's the moment you three have been waiting for Ask me some questions <laughs> What do you want to know? <laughs> well we I know like, I'm not going to get any straight answer out of this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah of course Anything that's really spoilerific I won't tell you guys But uh No You could ask me about Moments you missed, or other stuff like that, and I can explain. <laughs> like, what would have happened if we did this? <laughs> or, or something, you know? What is going on with the cults in the jungle? They've been around a long time. They're trying to summon, uh, they like, sort of, a demigod sort of thing, and they kidnap people from, uh, like, when I, when I describe Zon to you guys over there. Um, they kidnap people and they mutilate them to try and summon. But legitimately, it's sort of the blind leading the blind. No one actually knows what to do. Hmm. So, so it's creating more of a... It's sort of like if you talk about, I don't know, a religion in the modern day that does something in, prepa- in preparing for something that never happens. <laughs> mm. It's where someone on the outside goes, why are you doing this? And then going, it's our religion, <laughs> you know? Alright. But could they? If they did actual research and stop being just general jungle cultists who are more of a, you know, warring with lizard folk and kidnapping random travelers instead of doing actual conspiracy, sure. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> things that you have teased for a while is... There is a mountain range that divides the uh, continent of Epeth uh, mm-hmm. horizontally. Ooh, took me a second there. And within this mountain range, any time that we seem to go through it, there is some draconid something or another that gives us issue and we need our friendly uh, sorcerer to wrestle it into the ocean. <laughs> 
that's one of the things that I'm wondering about. Um, it's, I, I um... really feel like it's a lot of setup because like, the very early lore for this continent is that it's been ruled by a tyrannical red dragon. So mm-hmm. we've made the assumption that these are, since these are all draconids which are red, we think it's some remnants from that. And right now we're just waiting for his descendants to show up and destroy everything. Yeah. So uh, Oladar, the Crimson Tyrant, as I describe him, he was born a long time ago before before he became the ruler. Because, you know, they were gods. They were dragon gods. They were all these other big, scary things that died during the go- War of the Gods. And he's left behind, like, oh, I'm the strongest thing around now? Cool. Mine. <laughs> but he was born in the Valley of Twagos, and the Valley of Twagos was once a super mega volcano. Like, you look at that, it used to be a volcano. That explains that explains the crater-like shape. <laughs> yeah, magical stuff has changed, but it's still just historically many dragons b- will link back. That's where they were born. That's where their parent was born. That's where you know the the chromatic dragon was. You know whatever, and it, it's like I don't want to say. But you can think of various cultures where it's like, oh, um, I'm a Catholic. Maybe I'll go to the Vatican. I'm Jewish. Let's go to Israel. It's sort of like that in a dragon sense, you know, that dragons think, okay, especially dragons from a certain part of the world will be like, that valley there is a great place for me to layer up, build a nest, whatever. Even if you look at, like, um, Miu. Mew, the uh, dragon who Terra has a deal with. Mm-hmm. He is right next to that mountain range. St. Delincia, a dragon, was within the volcano. <laughs> In the form of volcano area. Dragons congregate to that area. Mm-hmm. And that's really the thing. And you see a lot of dragons around that area and, you know, sort of, you won't find them in the north unless, like, they're white and that's sort of the only thing. It's like cold-based dragons will be the only ones you'll probably find out and about. Because the way that's built and the historical importance it has to dragons and their culture and their societies or whatever was, you know, this was the kingdom of the fire dragons. The, the green dragons were over here. The Whatever. And that's where that comes from. Is it's yeah, it's the important place for their culture. Okay, but there's still some red dragons in there that are going to come and destroy us all. I never said that. You never <laughs> didn't say it. <laughs> uh, any other questions? It could be about any various of NPCs. Uh, I got a couple questions. Mm-hmm. Well, first one. What might have happened if Zar Hall had not put a cap in that crime lord's ass? <laughs> so Zar Hall is another one of our players, and he, uh, when they eventually caught the crime lord who had kidnapped the various members of the party's family, 
Uh, he decided, there's no point in trying to bargain, I'll just kill her. This was, this was after she had said, I have hostages, if you don't let me walk out if you're alive, there are instructions to kill them. <laughs> Basically, she was half bluffing. If they had been able to figure out she was dead, hostages would have died. But, they didn't really have a way to do so. Um, because of certain things that have happened. So, usually, a creature such as Granny Malquis, uh, who is Althea, Ian's character's patron, she could usually see through Althea, kind of, but with steps that... Things that have happened to Althea across the, the story has made it much more difficult uh, for Malquis to do so. And with all that, uh, she wasn't able to confirm or de de uh, deny the crime lords know whether they was alive or not. So when you managed to sneak in, it was really easy because they didn't know what was doing. And because you were killed the crime lord, the crime lord members who had suspected were kind of like, yo, I'm not staying around. I was here for the boss. They paid me. I'm out. You could have taken her in, which I think might have been the worst choice. Or you could have just let her walk away. It's basically, did you want more leverage? Or did you want, you know, it depended a lot on different things. I had plans for each way. Uh, but when you chose, or Zahal chose for you, I'm going to kill her. Uh, it made it me just further go into that route. Yeah, I mean, I was fully planning on... Letting her walk out the door and then letting her step right into the hands of the guard who'd come with us. Mm-hmm. is smarmy enough to go, well, I let you go. They didn't. Mm -hmm. I don't think that uh, she would have uh, taken that. <laughs> uh, yeah, anything? probably not. <laughs> <laughs> anything else? Uh... What might happen if in, maybe after this tournament arc, or even after that, Kai returns home? That is something we'll have to see. <laughs> Unfortunately, I cannot spoil you on that, but I will say it's been quite a while since Kai has been home. We're talking about uh, three, four years now? Uh, longer than that, I think. It was... Four years... I think, yeah, it was four years at the start of the campaign. So we're probably looking at about six now. And right now you've just saved two of your siblings, so we'll see how maybe they'll think about it. Yeah, which I suppose for listeners who don't play, my character got exiled after one of her inventions accidentally detonated and took off someone's arm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Jack, Ian, any other questions? I had one a second ago, but it has escaped me. <laughs> Same. <laughs> you two are brilliant. Thank you. Why don't we move on to your, your advice to world builders? So my advice would always be to make either to make big and then go down or to start small and go out. Choose one of two ways. I think for starting a world, I think you make the one city. 
and then you say that city is here and where it is in and what the continent is and then you develop go back smaller you zoom in again i think it's good to go small to big and then back from big down to small i think that's a perfect way to go about it and then look at other stuff look at history look at culture look at unique rules you know unique experiences religious sites historical, you know, incidents that have affected the land of the world. You know, we think of, like, rivers over time of change. You think of, uh, you know, different monuments that are built. Even ones like, you know, what what will people think of the Washington Monument if the world got wiped out? <laughs> or what would people think of, you know, Mount Rushmore? <laughs> like, there's just four faces in this rock. Why? <laughs> and that's be my advice. Uh, in terms of character work and how you make characters for that world then, I'd say it's important to look at history and look at how, you know, society expects them to be and whether they embrace society, reject society, what makes them the way they are when you're building a world. And that's so important, and you have to think of the organizations that exist. That's one of my favorite things to do, is to make organizations people who are not the rulers, but have a say. In Twagos, we have the Enchanted Variety. They're a group of mages who basically scout out and look for magical talent and build them up. And, you know, they take some magical responsibility in the valley. But that would be my advice, is just... Focus in on an aspect, grow it, and then maybe move on to the next or look back down and see, okay, what's the minutia here? What's the tiny detail? Nice. That's, uh, I gotta, I gotta say, that's generally how, how I've worked when building my own, own homebrew setting. Yeah, I think that is going to make um, next week's episode when we have Steam Dawn again to talk about some other world-building stuff very interesting and the differences in between your two philosophies on world-building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, okay. Ian, anything in the mailbag? <laughs> nope, we don't have any mail yet, so I just like to remind uh I just like to remind our listeners that if there is anything that you want to talk to us about or anything you want to have us talk about on the podcast, uh you can email us uh at fanfictapes at gmail dot com. Um we also have a Twitter. Uh Maya monitors that. Uh, Maya, do we have anything on anybody reaching out to us on Twitter? We do not, unfortunately. Uh, bummer. Well, tweet at us. Uh, our username there is at fanfictiontapes. Dylan, do we have a prompt this week? Yes, my prompt is for you to create a location, a city, a town, a unique religion, or and... An organization that exists within a world. You have to explain why they're important or why they're not important, what they do, and how it affects the local area or the larger area. Just tell us what do they do. Uh, but I'm very looking much, much looking forward to any submissions we get to that. Uh, I expect homework from all three of you. <laughs> no. Jack, <laughs> <laughs> you send me stuff anyway. <laughs> True. I'm going to a conference on Monday. 
<laughs> I have so much other homework already. <laughs> anyway, guys, this has been uh, our, our first episode in the month of world building here at the Fanfiction Tapes. I have been Dylan. Uh, my co-host has been... Maya. Hey, it's me, Jax. Yeah, both of us. Yeah, Jax and Maya. And our producer... I have been Ian, our producer, as always. All right. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye. <laughs>